putting together quickly um, an advice note to our members and running a podcast on um, what bids should be saying about the return to work from their workforce. It's clearly nervousness um, about what we ought to say. Some bids are gaining, some are losing. So this is a quick round the table discussion. Um, and I suppose firstly, it's just a very uh, my, my six questions really is, um, what do you reckon your businesses locally are saying and doing about getting people back to work? Kate, let's start with you in London and then go to Sharon in Sunderland. Um, well, we've been doing some, uh, some polling um, with Portland to get a sort of feel of what's happening nationwide, but in also in central London. And we've also surveyed our businesses. Um, thankfully, the polling data and our survey tally. So it's sort of, we think that we can sort of believe in what they're saying. Yeah. But essentially, um, we know that only around um, about 45 to 50% of people are back at the moment. Um, that may rise towards 70 to 80% perhaps um, next year. Um, but the key thing for us is that not all office workers can come back at the same time. So even if, if offices are opening, we're probably seeing about a third of the workforce coming in at one time to allow for the social distancing. Um, so in terms of the gap, in terms of the numbers, we think that that gap is going to um, carry on for some time to come, or is at least as long as social distancing remains in place. Alongside that, we're also hearing from our bigger occupiers that you know they they have adapted they're working very well from home by and large and so a number of them are making decisions to sort of revisit the, the mass return to work next year so they're pushing sort of de deadlines back into 2021 um but you know some people are coming back but yes. you know we're not going to see the numbers um while social distancing remains in place and we know from polling that there are no, there is nervousness out there that people are still worried about levels of infection. So I think if we see the rate of infection increase, then that will be another knock to the confidence of people returning. And we also know that um, people are, you know, the thing that people are missing is the sort of interaction and engagement with their teams. And obviously with social distancing, you know, and some of the smaller offices, that's very difficult to do, you know, because you can't get teams together. So, so we're trying to sort of look at some of those obstacles and coming up with some sort of um, solutions, advice. Um, we're commissioning some work with Gensler, we're commissioning some economic analysis work with Arup, looking at the impact of that sort of, um, you know, that third of office workers coming. And, and supposedly, what, what, what advice are you thinking about in terms of, of what you're actually saying to employees about trying to get a slightly higher proportion back? Well, I mean, the, the difficulty is that we are seeing that people are they are making their own decisions. I think that where um, their offices do allow people to come back, you are seeing people coming back, but it's just not in the numbers. You know, they're not all coming back purely because they can't all come back at the same time. Yeah. I think from our point of view, we are, we're continuing to talk to our members to find out who is coming back and what the numbers are looking like. We'll be redoing some of our polling as well later this month. Um, but our advice as well is to try and promote what is open and what is happening in London. And um, I think a big message for us is to be positive about the benefits of being back in central London. You know that, um, you know, culture is opening up, restaurants are opening up, it, yeah. you know, reminding people about why they wanted to be part of this amazing city in the first place. 
Let's move to Sharon in Sunderland and get an alternative view there. Is that, is that what's happening up in Sunderland as well, Sharon? Well, we're slightly different because we don't rely hugely on the office market because we don't have okay. that many professional um, jobs in the city. I mean, we have a, a few thousand, but it doesn't make up the, the huge majority that it does elsewhere. Right. So our footfall and spend is, has actually gone back to um, a relatively good level. I mean, it was okay. never perfect before. It was never amazing. There's lots of regeneration going on, but actually it's, it's kind of back to where it was. What we're finding, though, is that... Um, the biggest employer in the city centre for us is the council and they're not back yeah. and they're not saying they're coming back either so some of it i think is going to have to be leading by example we actually are based in a the software center we're based um, in one of the council buildings and i haven't been in to be fair i've been i've been in once actually in the last um few months and going back tomorrow with my team in the office um three days a week but it was just completely soulless. There's tape everywhere. There's no atmosphere. So it's like, oh my God, what, why would I want to come back to, to this? Um, and what do you think needs to happen to get the local authority to move people back in? Is there any, are there any things they're working on or have they given up on it? I think they're, they're building a new civic centre, so that's going to be ready next year. So part of me thinks they're just waiting and they're going to move okay. in there. But I do think they need to lead by example on some of it. I yeah. think the other thing that we've got is we've got lots of older buildings where people have got their own can come back to the solicitors, the estate agents, the accountants are back because they're all they can all be essentially on their own or in yes. the main on their own anyway. So we haven't got as much of an issue, but I do think that leading by example and seeing more people who people trust back in the city centre um, will be quite key. Okay, that makes sense. Sharon from, from Orpington, where, where are you? What's happening in Orpington on this one? Uh, we're probably at, at a different scale as well in that being a commuter town, traditionally, we've probably benefited from the fact that people aren't commuting up into central London. So we are, from a footfall perspective, about 20% down, but the town feels and looks very busy. Um, and businesses confidence is quite high um, again we don't have the largest office sector we have quite a, a balanced um, kind of industry sector I suppose and I, th I think that's one of the keys for regenerating in the future it's about not having um, areas that are really reliant on one thing yes. um, the eat out to help out has been hugely successful for us uh, we have a strong hospitality sector and because a lot of people are working from home in, our, in and around our town, then we've benefited hugely. So those businesses have seen um, increases up to sort of Christmas levels. And a lot of the uh, businesses are actually taking that forward themselves and, and going forward with it into um, September and October. So I think it's, from our point of view, it's about two things. One is confidence and one is compliance. And right. while we were in lockdown, a lot of work was done on the environment to make sure when people do come into town, they feel confident about the way it looks and feels that it feels clean and tidy and well managed. And we're working very closely with the local authority on compliance for the businesses so that they understand what their needs are, what they have to do. I think that was the nervousness at first when people were asked to come back to work. Yeah. It was not quite understanding what the requirements and the guidance were. So I think that's the key to it, supporting compliance. Sharon, that's great. We'll come, come back to you on that one. Paul, from, from a more analytical overview, what were your thoughts on this one? Where do we start? Um, the West End is, in, uh, is suffering greatly at the moment, uh, partly because of the lack of office, uh, office workers returning, 
we have about half a million office workers in the wider West End, around about 10% of them are back. So uh, only 10% is your, your thinking? Absolutely. That's compounded, of course, by the fact that we 50% of our 10 billion turnover annually comes from international visitors. We have yeah. no international visitors uh, and we don't have our domestic visitors. So footfall in the West End generally is well below the national level. It's less than 50% and that footfall is excludes all the very high spending uh, visitors from abroad. But going back on to the office workers, um, if you look at London as a whole, it's around about 30%. Um, whereas if you look at some of the international uh, comparators, you look at Paris, you look at Berlin, it's 75, 80%. Yeah, I was looking at those yesterday, yeah. Absolutely, that London is, isn't doing that the rest of the country, rest of Europe is doing. Uh, and there are sort of three key areas for us to look at. The first is public transport, yeah. which all our polling says is the key issue. Uh, visitors, whether they're office workers or other visitors, feel safe when they're in the West End. They just don't feel safe getting there. Um, so that's a big issue. Curiously, it's never been safer to travel on uh, London Underground at the moment or on the buses. It's clean, it's not busy outside the uh, peak hours, it's almost empty. Uh, so there is a messaging issue uh, about the fact that you can use safely public transport at the moment. The second issue is practicality. Um, it's difficult for office, uh, for employers to prepare an office that will, uh, with social distancing, allow enough people in, and especially not so much in the West End, but slightly further afield in the city. Uh, lifts, you can't use lifts. Uh, lifts are a big issue, aren't they? Yeah, you can get a thousand people up to your 22nd, 23rd floor of one person per lift. It's just not going to work. Uh, and also there's personal, there's professional liability issues. So there's lots of practical reasons uh, why people uh, aren't coming back. And then there's just the general desirability. You know, the, the working from home is possible. You don't have that long commute. You don't have all the costs. And why should you want to come back in? So our push at the moment, from an office point of view, is focused on transport. And it's focused on getting a percentage of yes. office workers back. You know, we don't need, a, we do need 100%, but we'd be happy with 50%. At the moment, we're at 10%. Uh, and we if, we do the, if, we, if we do the, I'm interested in this, and it ties with Kate's point really, if we do the sums in terms of, you know, the average office space, social distancing, you get it down to about maybe 30% of the workforce back. But of course, if they come back um, three days a week rather than five, you can actually end up with about 40 to 50% coming back in the course of the week, but not all at the same time. Is that a strategy that makes sense? Yeah, it does. It, it makes sense for certain areas. It definitely makes sense for retail. It doesn't make as much sense for entertainment and hospitality who require people to be there every day to spend yes. money on things. But in retail, you know, people coming in five days a week normally in the office will probably go shopping one day of those five days a week. So we don't really need them back all five days. So long as they're coming back two or three days, they are in the West End sometime during the week and they will do their shopping then. So, you know, anything is better than the 10% we've got at the moment. I think there's a focus more on younger people uh, to get them back in, partly because younger people make more use of some of the entertainment activities and the hospitality activities, partly because they're less frightened of it, uh, of, of catching COVID, uh, and also partly because um, they're the ones who, whose career is going to benefit from more interaction with their co-workers. Yes. Moving to London uh, for your first job and then finding you're sitting in a bedsit in uh, zone three yeah. is not a very good career move. You, know, no, no. you want 
in there learning and mixing and networking and understanding and growing and uh, being promoted and such like. So a lot of effort going into getting the younger people will be, will be a first phase. And, and the international stuff, I was looking at that yesterday, it's interesting that the data there is, is dramatically different. It's just so much better. But when you unbundle it, you realize a lot of that is because their cities are inherently smaller. They commute less distance. So looking at France, where you've got cities like Montpellier and Bézier and Paris, um, it's easier to get in. They're far less frightened about using their public transport. It absolutely is. And there are two other things just to bear in mind, to put it in that international context. I live in France. In France and Germany, what they did was they got the police to lock you in. That was how the lockdown happened. You were locked in and you could not leave. In Britain, we were frightened to stay in. They said, don't come out, protect the health service and such like. So when the lockdown was lifted in France and Germany, it was like being released from prison. And we yeah. just all went out. Whereas when it was lifted in Britain, everyone's saying, no, 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 hold on, we're still frightened. Yes. And the British are frightened in a way which the French, the Germans, and such like, are not so much. No, that no. wasn't the tactic used. Nick, you're, you're clearly, you're, your whole bid is very dependent on that, that leisure uh, recreational end. I mean, what's your take on this at the moment? Are people coming to any of your uh, events? Well, um, uh, so I agree with everything that Paul's outlined in terms of the dynamics. I guess, though, inevitably, we'd see them playing out in slightly different ways. Um, so obviously in, in coming on the call uh, with a focus on return to work, I could talk at length, you know, long into the night about the visitor economy and what's happening there, obviously, because we're, we're very, very strong. We're very clear on that. I've actually just come off a call from the SOS Collective, which uh, people from NWEC and Holber are also involved in with Merlin and UK Hospitality. So the, 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 the domestic and the international visit uh, visit sort of figures from Visit Britain. I, I think you know we're, we we could spend a long time talking about you know that outlook. Um, so so you know a few 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 friends of mine were posting me pictures of the South Bank at the weekend. You know very busy. You know nice sunny day in London. Lots of food and beverage uh, options, and that's despite the fact that lots the the majority of the cultural offer is. Uh, is not there. The Haywood Gallery is open, um, but other than that and an outdoor exhibition, Everyday Heroes, the South Bank Centre remains closed. The BFI is open, so cinemas open, the IMAX is open, uh, but National Theatre remains closed. All of Merlin's attractions are open. So there's people coming in, but the constant question we ask is, who are these people? Literally, sort of going around, sort of, you know, asking people, who are you? Where have you come from? What are you doing here? You know. Um, so, you know, there's a pattern of people returning um, to enjoy the South Bank for what I guess it's traditionally offered. You know, it's nothing like it obviously should be in a, in a kind of late, late, uh, late summer weekend. But nevertheless, the dynamics are interesting. The, the return to work, though, is fascinating because I think a lot of what Paul said resonates. Um, there clearly is a big dynamic of people having supportive employers who are allowing them to work from home, um, and to come back to work in flexible ways that respond to both, you know, I guess it's push-pull factors, isn't it? I think lots of people are enjoying um, the working from home experience, provided, providing, provided it offers certain flexibility, you know, going back in one day, going back in two days, you know, staying local, spending local, you know, all those dynamics. Um, so we're, we're seeing, I guess, a sort of a benign um, acceptance of these dynamics, particularly from some of the larger employers. So in other words, you know, there isn't really a compulsion. There isn't really a, 
you know, a mandate, get back into work, you know, that, that I think in the current government and GLA mayoral narrative is sort of clearly permitted. So what we're seeing is a very, very slow, uh, as I say, almost like officially mandated view from major employers, which is, you know, we'll probably see 10, 20% in um, September, October. You know, I, I won't name them, but a very, very interesting conversation with facilities manager person from major employer international brands, um, probably has about 3,000 people on the South Bank who says, yeah, yeah, you know, so, you know, we're, we're encouraging people to come back in and we're pushing, you know, cycling and it's, it's interesting to talk about, you know, more cycle facilities. But to be honest, we've, we've surveyed the staff and we know that uh, despite a, a little up, a little sort of, um, sorry, um, a little uh, sort of uplift in people's appetite to cycle, as soon as the winter, well, actually, as soon as autumn hits, a little bit of rain, anyone who's not cycled in London, they're just not going to do it. So they're saying, you know, we're, we'll probably see more people cycling, but not until March, April next year. So they're already sort of looking at a six-month window where you're not really going to see much more than 10 or 20%. And so that's that's a pattern that we're seeing, particularly with some of the larger brands and larger companies. Um, and, and I guess the final thing I'd say is we do have an awful lot of uh, work, workspace providers, so whether that's workspace, whether it's WeWork, you know, their their arrangements with their members or their tenants do have some flexibility in there. So people can cancel memberships, uh, you know, uh, at relatively uh, short notice at no financial penalty. So there's a huge shift in in in, in the in the sort of shared workspace uh, model, which you know is is happening at a, a big meta level, obviously in terms of those providers. But I think there's some really interesting stuff about how, sort of when I say tenants, you know, these aren't necessarily tenants who have leases, but they're people who would normally be hot desking small, small office environment, paying a monthly membership fee. Uh, you know, they can they can do that from home. So we're seeing a lot of lot of impacts there. And and the big question is, so you're not necessarily really going to get those people coming back. The question is, who are you going to get to come back in to take their place? And that's yeah. a big, big question for Central London, I think. In these things up is enough coming through for you to be content with all of this good matthew welcome it's good to see you um we've had a quick run around that those who don't know matthew sims it runs the bid in croydon um tell us what's happening down in croydon in terms of this return to work the office workforce is that is it picking up is are things happening down there thanks chris apologies for for, for the lateness um in croydon i i think in the same with the rest of the country um, there is a reticence about um, coming back into the office. I, I think with, with Croydon, in, in contrast to, to, to many other places, we have a high proportion of public sector uh, offices with a large concentration of the home office, um, <clears throat> HMRC and, and the like, and the levels of um, employees for those, but also from the commercial sector in general, is, is quite low. Um, we are... And, and again, I think the, the other part to take from this from Croydon's point of view is that East Croydon train station and our transport network is, is, a, is a massive interchange. Um, there is a view now working with GTR and, and also with Croydon Council to change the narrative, um, to make it um, softer in terms of the messaging that is coming through for, 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 for businesses and employees to provide a little bit more confidence um, so that you know individuals like myself who, who use a public transport network all the time 
um, feel that confidence, can come into um, East Croydon, can use it and feel confident. But I think it's, it's, it's very much, um, it's very much working with employers and, and, and with occupiers, talking through the measures that have been taken, um, giving that confidence back. We've seen that super drug have returned to their head office um, recently. And again, we're seeing a lot more of that September, October time, but there are other employers that are looking at um, January time. So it's, it's, it's a mixed bag, Chris. Yeah. Do you feel that the return to school is going to make a bit of a difference? People feel more comfortable about their kids not being at home, so they'll come into work more likely then? I, I think so to a degree, but I think, and, and again, I, I, whether this has been picked up or not, but, you know, the change in, in, in working patterns and, 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 and how we are working now, um, there, I wouldn't say there's a relaxation, but, you know, we have, 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 have been forced almost to, to work from home to find and, and, and develop that flexibility um, within the house. Um, and, and so therefore, I think that businesses are reconsidering their approach. They're reconsidering the space that they need uh, because they may not need as much as they had before. Um, there are, I have to, to look at this in, 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 in two bags, really. One, there are those that are very keen to work from home, have enjoyed the time that they've had at home and, and, and the things that, that that brings, but also looking at the people that, um, that want to get back into the office. They want to, um, they want to have that social aspect with, with, with colleagues and the like. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's two aspects really. Sharon, or Peter, you had, you had a point to chip in there. Um, I can't remember what that one was. <laughs> I'm sorry. About that. It was a little while ago. I think talking um, or reflecting on what's been said is very much about a change of attitude, isn't it, to work? I think the older generation, like myself, um, have perhaps enjoyed lockdown. Um, we have, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a home where you can work from home, you don't have young children, so you haven't had that um, difficulty in terms of educating from home. It's been an opportunity to rebalance things and make sure that the work that you do is focused at the right time and you can be a lot more productive. Yeah. And I think that's something that people have now got in their minds. It is that younger generation who, as we said earlier, need to get back to be more socially interactive, who want to get back. Um, and I think that it's about the changes that are happening with the offices happened in retail some time ago. And yeah. that big change in how they work and what their needs and requirements are going to be is now in the office sector. So I think it is quite a challenge, uh, yeah. particularly in the big oh, cities, to, to make yeah, that. No, I, I think that's, and, and I agree entirely, which is having the same sort of issues about that elder generation. Paul, you were coming in there. There were two things. Firstly, the answer to your question about has the children going back to school made a difference? The answer in the West End, absolutely not. No, uh, right. The last, the last week, our footfall went down from 50% to 49%. So you would expect some sort of rise. It actually went down. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right um, that, that we really, especially in the city centres, need to look at what the future holds for us all. Um, there's no doubt that some of the many of the sort of suburban centres around London, the villages around London, are doing very well at the moment because all the people who would have been coming into the city centres are working from home and all the various retailers and uh, entertainments and hospitality are getting the benefit from that. So I think it's a mistake for us to be saying to government, we need your help to get us back to where we were before the pandemic because that's not what's going to happen. 
uh, and we need to look at now where do we go post COVID-19 and I think it's you know can be quite positive um, you know it, it's a case of how you restructure your city centres to take into account uh, the different requirements of office work uh, and interestingly I guess you know in the centre of London office uh, occupancy was up to nearly 95-98% uh, and there was always a question about where are we going to get the extra capacity for the forecast growth in jobs well this might make it slightly easier to do that. Yes. So I, th I think going to government and saying hey look we want some help because the um, Pret-a-Manger and sandwich shops are closing is not the answer. Uh, the answer is we need we need help to transform ourselves during that transformation period into what the future will look like. Yes. And I think the final thing to say is that you know City centres are not, it's not just about protecting sandwich shops in city centres. If you look at the West End in particular, you know, the West End is an ecosystem that is globally attractive and it's globally attractive for investors, for visitors, and most importantly for talent. You know, the reason why so many bankers that want to stay and work in the city and uh, Canary Wharf, one of the reasons is because a night out on Saturday night out in the West End is far more exciting than a Saturday night out in Frankfurt, uh, to be honest. And, and if you lose the ecosystem of the West End, you lose one of the big attractions uh, for people to globally to come to London for whatever reason. So it's more than just protecting pret and such like. It's about protecting what it is that makes the West End and central London so globally attractive. And they all have to work together. I think that's right. I mean, sorry, Kate. No, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, one of the things we're looking at is how we can get um, workers that are returning to engage more fruitfully with the city around them. So that's one of the reasons we've commissioned some work through Arup to try and understand what the sort of the spending pre-COVID were of office workers and what, what the impact will be of any of this third coming back. Because realistically, we need people to be engaging much more with the culture, the retail, the hospitality, when they do come into London. And I think from talking to our businesses, they are missing the interaction, they are missing being with their teams. And so we need to be really focusing on getting those workers to be much more engaged and fruitful when they do come in. Um, and that, you know, as, as Paul said, there is a, a positive opportunity there for us to really sort of connect people to the city around them in a way that perhaps hasn't been done to date. I mean, I'm interested in that in that bringing some of those things together because one of the issues if we do stand back and look at what is going to happen to the middle of our towns and, and I used to live in Woolwich and then in Birmingham interesting when I was a youngster living in Birmingham it was full of people who lived there they absolutely lived in the middle of Birmingham um, no no one does it's, it's hardly anyone is there um, I mean do we see that long-term shift because if we are into some new ecosystem um, of, of more people living in their cities rather than commuting in from a distance and therefore making them more livable and lovable or, 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 or not? I, I think it's very, for, sorry, just very briefly, I think from a central London perspective, I think it's a very challenging question to answer because in some ways, you know, uh, so we're, we're, we're a, you know, London plan recognised growth area that includes growth in, in residential units and uh, you know growth in residential communities so you know one of the, one of the heart of you know the biggest redevelopments in, in South Bank recently Canary Wharf's uh, redevelopment of the Shell area South Bank Place you know it's got a very significant number of uh, residential yes. in there uh, a mix as you'd expect of kind of high-end luxury but actually also um, uh, an entire virtually an entire block uh, 20, 20 stories of uh, 
uh, of um, flats for NHS key workers. Um, so, you know, right in the heart, pretty much bang on the river. Um, so in some ways, parts of central London already embracing, you know, um, not, not just sort of the business, you know, dominated uh, 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 economy, if that's the right word, but, you know, recognising that, you know, there are communities of residents in parts of central London. You know, Paul will no doubt you know, have some experience of that, dealing with um, kind of the residents around Oxford Street, you know, over the last, well, the last few years. Um, but so, so I, I think it's, 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 it's a complex picture in central London in terms of whether we should be encouraging certain types of, uh, you know, residents. I mean, there's, there's, there's an undoubted narrative that, you know, ensuring that there's the right mix, that you're creating real communities of, of teachers, of teachers assistants, you know, as well as, you know, the more high end, you know, flats, which inevitably uh, will be bought up by institutional investors. You know, it's a, it's a very, very complex thing. Uh, which I suspect will be very different in central London you know, to other parts of London and, and cities outside London as well. But, but of course, there was a whole era in Victorian lands of Peabody Estates building, you know, proper, well, friends of mine live there, proper ordinary houses in the middle of London. Because otherwise, we're not going to see the, the millions of people in the middle of London again. If they're not commuting in for work, how are they going to be there? It's all about affordability, isn't it? I think that yes. any town, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever size it is, needs its local residents to be part of it. That's what gives it its heart. And I think in the bid industry, it's all been about placemaking. And we've got a huge opportunity to actually restructure our towns, to regenerate them in a way that works for everybody. Um, you can't live in London now if you're young because you can't afford it. So you live as near to East Croydon Station as you can Absolutely so right. you can get to London. Yes. Um, that, you know, that works for, for yes. Matt, perhaps. <laughs> but you want yeah. towns to be open to everybody. Yeah. And that's going to be a long haul to actually get back to building properties that people can afford. Um, yeah. and want to live there. Just a, a very quick one, Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm always nervous of any bid that sort of speaks and talks only a pro-business, that, you know, a return to residential is bad for business. You know, I don't believe it is. I think, you know, uh, mixed communities uh, of residents and businesses has to be a good thing. I mean, possibly because, you know, I run South Bank Employees Group that's been around for 30 years as well as a bid. You know, we... I talk to residents on a daily basis. I talk to resident groups. I talk to, you know, social housing. Uh, we have Coin Street community builders in our area. You know, uh, business community, you know, we, ha we, we passed our neighbourhood plan last year, which those of you who are immersed in neighbourhood planning know that you've got to get a residential and a business vote to secure a neighbourhood plan. So we always see that this is part of the community rather than just being pro-business, you know, at the possible expense of other communities. I think that's an important message because I think this whole lockdown thing has, has forced bids in a way to engage more with their residential community because they're living and working in in their small towns. And that, that's been quite a big shift for, for, for most of us, I think. And that's been quite, I think, quite healthy, to be honest. Um, well, we need to avoid, sorry, just one point. There was an article in the Times this weekend about the size of... Um, developments that are going on which are very small and I think what we need to be conscious of is some of the redevelopments of office space and um, shop space into very small accommodation for residents and we need to make sure that the quality of any new build is um, correct and that the yes. space is there as well because we could head down the wrong road very quickly and and, and the, new, the new regulations do can result in loathsome little flats which nobody is ever going to want to live in but there are some good examples basingstoke a few years ago faced this where their home office moved out of basingstoke they were left with these huge tower blocks above the station and they sent all of them into residential and made them affordable and, and suddenly you find these interesting projects in the middle of town paul paul your your kind of thought yeah. I mean, going on to that, I think there have been two changes in planning 
recently or coming up that are useful. Uh, well, one's useful and one's not quite so useful. Uh, definitely the uh, use classes order to create a town center use allows a lot more flexibility. Yeah. So we can use those buildings for those sorts of businesses that town centers could use or could, could accommodate and there's more flexibility, which is great. I think the issue of housing is a totally different one. Uh, the idea that you would have deemed consent to change commercial for housing without needing to go and get planning permission uh, is fraught with difficulty, both because of you know, what's just been said about the quality of the housing, but also it's very clear that there are some places where you really don't want housing. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, the West End, uh, Oxford Street, Regent Street and such like, you really don't want housing in the middle of an international centre. Uh, uh, but but if those if those uh, changes go through, then the local authority and its planning uh, side of things it gets taken out of the equation. So I think we need to to look at that with some care. I, I agree um, entirely. Use yeah. classes is a great idea. The housing potentially a good idea, but probably needs a little bit more looking into as to how it's used. I've been talking to two industrial bids the last week. These are industrial bids who have got planning approval for two of their big warehouses to be turned into really crappy little flats. Um, and it, it's the way some developers are moving. You build a big warehouse, you take it over shitty flats and, and you make a fortune. So, so you're absolutely right. We are gonna to have to control this in some fashion. Um, and I'm not quite sure at the moment the best way of doing this. Um, one China, I'm, I'm tossing things in we've had ideas about. Um, we've had some comments from people, I think, about making their railway stations safer. Uh, one of the London MPs is very interested in making them feel safer with more sand sanitizers, maybe more random testing, um, COVID testing, actually at railway stations like the Europeans do in their airports. Is there some mileage in that for any of us? Do people like the idea of making people feel more confident by doing testing, random testing? I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as random testing, but I, I, right. I think, you know, in, for, for anybody traveling, the, the, the message needs to be a positive one. It needs to be one that's controlled, that has a structure in place, that, that embodies that confidence for, for the traveler who's coming in. You know, I, I, I travel into to Waterloo. I haven't traveled into Waterloo for, for some time. Um, my first journey into Waterloo, I'm going to want to feel that confidence. I'm going to want to know where I need to head um, to make sure that, that the staff that are representing Waterloo and the other transport interchanges um, have my, my, my safety at heart. And I think all of us in terms of the roles that we play um, with the, the town centres, city centres and the like that, that, that we, we, we support and represent, um, safety has been at the heart of everything that we've done for the past six months. Um, so it, for me, it's, it's all about the messaging. It's about how you, you, you push that out, how you get it through um, in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Kate, I think you had a point then, and then Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, as you were saying, that it is about a positive message. I think that's really at the heart of what we're going to be pushing in the next few weeks and months. I don't think the initial narrative that came from government, which was sort of go back to work or lose your jobs, is the, is the right way to go at all. I think it needs to be much more about incentivising, encouraging, reminding people about the safety measures that are in place, not just on public transport, but you know, within offices, um, telling people which, uh, who is open, which hospitality is open. So really making a big song and dance when, you, when we hear about our hotels reopening and any offers and promotions that they might be, um, be putting in place for, for returning workers or visitors. And I think positivity is going to be absolutely key to try and encourage people to, to start to think about coming back. You know, ultimately, People don't want to spend 
five days a week sat at home. You know, we know that people are missing certain elements of being back in the centre, back, being back with their teams. And I think we've just got to remind them um, and keep reminding them what the, the positive benefits are. And one of those things, presumably, is making sure they understand. I mean, I was in Waterloo last week. I came out for the day. The train was almost empty. Waterloo had about four people in it, and I felt as safe as houses there. Um, and clearly, that's the message we need to get across, that actually it's good. Paul, you've got your finger up there. Yeah, I, th I think there's two points to this. The first is, uh, under the current capacity with social distancing, there is still a lot of space on our public transport systems outside the, the peak commuter hours. Um, so we need to do more to get people to use the capacity that's there. Absolutely right, which means messaging, giving people confidence, giving them whatever incentives. That's absolutely right. However, under social distancing, this is the second point, the maximum that London Underground, for example, can take is about 40%. So we're still 60% not there. So you could go out of your way to encourage people to come in and very soon the tubes will feel not quite so safe. Yes. Um, so, so I think the long term is that we have to do something that takes away social distancing as the measure, uh, which means either a vaccine or track and trace or something. Because under current social distancing, yes, the tubes and such like aren't full at the moment, but the moment you get a smaller number of people on them, they will get to their capacity, which is 60% down on what they normally should be. So that's a good figure. I hadn't realised that. So, so, so even if they're fully operational under covid sex so they'll only be 40 percent full 40 percent under current social distancing yeah uh, which means they no longer form the the role of a mass transport system no no because not mass transporting so either tfl have got to say well let's do something that moves away from social distancing and allows more people on or is there something else we can do to move mass numbers of people around london there's an irony in this because I'm one of my best friends who works for Transport for London as a marketing person and she was saying that they've all got free tickets of course um, but none of them are using them because TfL don't want their staff to use their free bus passes because it takes money away from from the organization so you've actually got a reduction in people traveling for that very reason which is ironic really I think the difficulty is you don't want to go back to what it was where you no. were right up against people's armpits and hundreds of people. No, that's absolutely uh, right. It's dangerous and unsafe and, and you're not very nice. So it's that but if we don't go, But if we don't go to back to that, then the economy of the West of uh, West End isn't operational. So, so somewhere there's, there's, there's got to be an answer there. Either the West End's got to change a bit, and maybe the, the market will work here, of course. The West End will change a bit, travel will change a bit, and in five years' time there will be an answer, but no one quite knows what it might be. And rush um, hours will change. We won't have that rush hour because people should be able to actually operate at different times and reschedule So the whole plan will be needing to change, won't it? Back to what it was. You need I, to change I, I think better. possibly not. Sharon Appleby up in um, Sunderland, uh, you, you seem to be surviving without worrying about any of these things. Is that right? wouldn't say surviving, well, no. surviving probably, but we weren't in the best shape initially, but we had no. a huge amount of regeneration, which is still going on. So that's really, you know, we're really confident that all of the investment that was that was planned is coming. What it's allowing us to do now with the new office blocks and things that were planned is build them for a living with COVID or post-COVID rather yes. than having to retrofit and, and things like that. So we're in, in quite a good place there. Back to some of your points around housing and things like that. Um, we have are lucky because we've got lots of space. We're right on the coast. There's lots of green space. So we're actually building um, another 5,000 houses in the next um, few years that are, that's family housing, that's eco housing, that's really kind of 
move into the future type of housing so you can actually have families who aren't just living in flats or apartments or whatever but living properly within the city centre there are parks on the doorstep as I say the beaches on the doorstep so accommodation is massive for us but actually that can only help in terms of business because more people will um, will encourage different things so I think Sunderland's in a slightly different place, but I would say from a British Bids point of view, Chris, you know, sitting on the advisory board as well, that when this conversation has very much focused on the West End, there are lots of bids outside of the West End who are in different positions. So we have to think about the advice from a British Bids point of view and how that comes across, because it's a totally different scenario in the North East, not, you know, in the North East for Sunderland. Newcastle are struggling, not as much as, as the West End, but Newcastle are, are having some issues. Um, but you have to be really balanced about how you promote and, and you're, you're absolutely get right. information out, because it's very yeah. different a few hundred miles away. Indeed. Uh, Birmingham's a lovely example of this. We've got 11 bids in Birmingham, five in the middle, of course, that are suffering desperately. Um, seven in the suburbs that are actually a bit like Orpington and Winchester doing very well um, and therefore you've got this really strange balance of, of, of suburban and small market towns actually generating a lot of interesting eco economic change um, at the same time as our city centres are having deep, deep troubles. I mean long very long term I'm an economist you know very long term um, this might solve some of those great north-south divide issues um, you know, the way that the French have got, you know, dozens of towns below a million people, all very operational, all very productive, all very successful, um, with smaller commuter communities. Um, and that allows them to have a slightly greater resilience, I suspect, than we've got with, what, five towns of a million plus. I mean, Paul, you've got a, a French view on that. Um, I mean, I think that, that they are more resilient on this than we are with our small number of very, very large cities. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's because France is a much bigger country. You know, it's a three times the land mass of England with the same population. So they don't have the planning issues. No. High-speed rail links without worrying about protesters and all that sort of stuff. So stuff just gets done. And they also have very strict planning laws uh, which uh, control what you can and can't do in the town in the town centres. So many of the town and city centres have not been badly damaged by out-of-town retail parks and such like. So it is a, a different setup. One thing I'd just like to raise is the issue of housing, just to go back to that, which I think needs looking into because there's always this thought, oh, housing is good for, you know, let's get people back into the centres of cities and towns. You just really need to question whether that is always the case because when you look about the amount of space that an apartment uses up and then say, well, in that one apartment, you might get two people living there. How many people would be in, in a normal pre-COVID time working in an office there? And the answer is probably about 20. Um, so if you're looking about getting the numbers of people and the numbers of visitors into a town or city centre, having a, a piece of space used as an office gets about 20 people coming in, yes. having that space used gets about two people coming in. And curiously, those two people may well, in the daytime, go out and commute to work somewhere else and only come back in the evening where they'll complain about the night, nighttime economy. Indeed. So it's not always the case that move, changing commercial to, to resi is a good thing for the economic growth of a town or city centre. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, Winchester, where I live, it suffers from that. You know, most of our residents live, work in London um, and, and come back in the evenings and do indeed moan about the appalling evening economy. No, I think more, more in, in terms of the, of the sort of what ifs, in other words, if it, if it is not possible to get a million people going to London commuting every day, then we're going to have to have some sort of what-if scenarios emerging. And I can't see any what-ifs that don't involve a bit more accommodation coming in there. 
Um, one thing to mention, um, I don't really know what this, what this might mean or whether it is an opportunity, but I know it's something we, we talked about a few weeks ago here that, you know, with a number of office workers who traditionally work in London and would be under central London bids, they're currently now working from home yeah. and spending more time in their home locations where there'll be more local suburban bids and whether there's an opportunity to have a think about how there could be much more collaboration perhaps between the central London bids and the suburban bids because we've got city workers who are actually working in satellite locations now and I don't know whether that could be part of the sort of future in terms of how we could message things or how we could sort of work collectively um, with our usual central London workers now working elsewhere if you see what I mean. Yeah, no, I agree, sorry. I agree, absolutely. Are you suggesting the suburb bids uh, subsidise us in the centre of London? That's a great idea. <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure that's what. I'm not sure that's what, what was. Well, it might be moved to, but I'm not. But there's no denying that, that up until till recently, I think there's been a more of a competition. I mean, Birmingham is a lovely example of five bids in the middle that, that in a way, um, probably don't celebrate their suburban bids on the edges in the way that they probably ought to, and the suburban bids on the edges have always been slightly antagonistic to the bids right in the middle. There's been tensions there. Um, and I think what this is giving us, I think, is a realisation that um, bids are a greater community. We, we represent a whole cross-section of different things. And the gains in one um, may be the losses in another. But we just need to celebrate that a bit more, understand what that means, um, talk to each other a little bit more. Um, and it, it may well be that some of the bids, like you know Sharon in, in, in Sunderland, have got more of an understanding of that. Than, than probably some of the the other bids have got. So we might Chris, need to- Chris, can I interject a minute? Please, yes. Just just one of, you know, I, I, I think what, what bids have shown across the past six months um, of all size and, and wherever they're, they're located is, is the strength of voice that they have and the number of businesses that they represent. Um, I've seen it with the, with, with the Raise the Bar campaign, but, but moving forward in terms of how we represent businesses going forward. We, we have quite an opportunity here in terms of working with um, transport providers and, and, and developing key alliances um, to support those providers. So I'm, you know, certainly from Croydon's point of view, I am keen to get the commercial sector back. Um, we are living at the moment very much from um, the local residential market um, we, who are re rediscovering their locality, but that, that that commercial sector I need back. And I think as, as part of the work going forward for bids is to develop alliances um, and, and transport alliances in particular in order to be able to drive through some of those benefits, some of the messaging. And I think we're, we're well placed to do that. And I, I, I think we should really, really push forward for that. That's a very good point and we need to work on that. I think the whole link to with, between bids and transport for London is going to be an important one but it's also about the the, the, the suburban rail and, and bus services which we all talk to at a bid level but probably never quite realise sufficiently how important that relationship is. You know our local railway station in the middle of each bid is the, is the gateway to our towns and we, we all know that but we probably need to work a little bit harder on safety, security, uh, make sure the hand washing stuff's known about make sure the signposting is there make sure that people feel really really safe on the public transport and we probably just need to help um, work a bit harder with our play uh, with our with our stakeholders to make sure we get that we do that really we put some money into that at the bid level 
Colleagues, thank you very much for that. I found that very useful. We're doing a reply to the ministry at the moment on the um, feature of the high street, and, and clearly we've woven a section in about working from home, uh, working from home instead of on the office as part of that, and clearly public transport. The three things that came out of that of the stuff so far uh, for us up to this meeting have been it's been this issue of lifts. 40% um, occupancy factors is the most we can get and, and the importance of public transport and the safety of public transport. Those three things seem to be the absolute key ones that we need to do some, some more about. Um, stronger messaging on that, making sure the bids work with our transport providers. Colleagues, thank you very much indeed. We'll get some notes together from that and get it out to people so you see what it is we're going to say. Um, and Ray and I will have a quick chat and make sure we have some shared stuff. So, well, thank you very much indeed. It's been a very useful hour, um, slightly more than we intended, longer, but it's been very good indeed. And good to see everybody. Good to see everybody. Thank you very much indeed. Bye bye to you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Chris. Bye Cheers. Bye.